Hello and welcome to the Aaron Evans Podcast. This podcast is devoted to people who want to love, listen, and live a little better. I'll be sharing my musings as a life coach, a mother, a yogi, an entrepreneur, and I'll be interviewing some of the most inspiring people that I know that are leaving the world a little better than how they found it. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. If you want to stay in touch, you can follow me on Instagram at Aaron underscore Evans. Buckle up and thank you for tuning in. Back by popular demand, High Hopes Harvey, Sarah Harvey. Uh, she got that nickname because she always has these grandiose adventures and then adds like 20 kilometers on. She is one of my dearest friends. Uh, her and I have created a new program we're going to run in October, and I'm so honored to have you with me today, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me, Erin. I'm so excited to be here. And uh, yeah, High Hopes Harvey includes taking deep dives into the in inner world, and I'm so grateful that you are always keen to not just go in, but go a little bit deeper and see what we can dig up. Yeah. So today's conversation is about the guru and the disruption of this guru model that we've seen in so many spiritual and religious traditions. So a guru, if you're unfamiliar, it is originated from Hinduism and it's a preceptor giving personal or religious instruction. It's any person who counsels or advises. Um, a leader in a particular field. Um, one definition is the dispeller of darkness. It was explained to me once as the weighted one. So if you take a parachute and when you were little and you everyone has an edge of the parachute and you've got marbles and they kind of dance around and then you've got this big bowling ball. The bowling ball is so heavy that all the marbles go toward the weighted one, the heavy one. Beautiful. I love that analogy. And if we break down the word, guru is the light and the dark. So it's this idea that it's a steady human, a weighted one that can help us walk this terrifying path of shining light in the inner darkness. And I think, you know, some teachers will tell us that they'll be able to help us eliminate the darkness. Um, however, I think what lands more for me is this idea that we can, the darkness can lose its charge. We can look at it and not worry that it is our ugly shadow that has power over it. So it loses its power or its weight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that look because we're not, we're never going to be free of, of darkness or pain. In yeah. fact, it's everywhere. The mind loves it. So when I think about a guru or in my experience, a great teacher it's someone that walked the arduous path before me. That person has devoted their life to the teachings and the path. Uh, imagine you're going on a big outdoor adventure and this person has already done that trip. So they're like, oh, I got a flat tire this many miles in. I ran out of water at this point. So they're really sharing valuable information with you that you wouldn't have access to without their experience. Uh, and in our culture, we don't have these rites of passage, these rites of passage into 
adulthood and this understanding that we as individuals have a responsibility to the collective. Um, in our culture, those have been have been lost. So we stay in that individualistic world. And I think for sure, for me, that's why I'm so drawn to finding a guru, finding a teacher, finding someone to show me how to walk the path and understand my responsibilities to myself and to the collective, kind of a roadmap to walk in the world. Mm-hmm. I love that you say that. So when I think of a, a rite of passage, we could look at it like a baptism. We could look at, look at it as uh, puberty, marriage, becoming a parent. But beyond that, there's there's bigger rites of passage. A shaman I love says it's when you have to fight for your own life. You know, you're either going to go to sleep and and live in misery and depression, but it's the threshold of like demanding that you will live this life and live it well. Um, but I love that you say that these rites of passage and what happens is when someone crosses a threshold into adolescence, into adulthood, they then have wisdom to share. And then they become the truth bearers, the torch bearers for all the people in the community. And and you're right. Like, I think that the, the movement toward a guru and a teacher was, for me personally, was like a lack of guidance. Yeah. And a lot of those rites of passage in a lot of different cultures involve, or most cultures involve some sort of element of deprivation. So the dark night of the soul, a vision quest, so somewhere where you're sent out on the land, no food, no water, and you you have to deal with yourself. Oh my God, deal with yourself. That's maybe the title of this podcast. Yeah, so myself, I am an avid Kool-Aid drinker, and I think you are too. We are the perfect candidates for uh, guru and false idols. And and we want to show you both sides of the model, why it worked, and perhaps why we're going to obliterate it or move toward a, a more independent stance. So the advantages of, of having a guru, a great teacher, is it's access to a flow state. If you've ever been to a concert or you've seen Deva Primal sing, or you're listening to this incredible speaker, we have access to a, a state of consciousness where we're all on the same level. I think that's really advantageous. Yeah, I just got taken away to being at a really beautiful concert with Satnam Kaur. And same idea, just a hall, beautiful hall full of people and the resonance of the chanting echoing and you completely lose time, concept of time and space. Mm-hmm. And my experience of, of drinking Kool-Aid, and when I say that, it's when I knew that it wasn't quite right. So with many lineages in in the yoga tradition and spiritual traditions, it's been monetary scams, uh, sexual uh, abuse scams, um, just inauthentic uh, things that have occurred at the top level of these, these religious empires. In my experience, I've only had a couple where it felt a bit off, but I remember I was in in a Mysore room and I definitely didn't feel safe, but I put my power in the in the hands of the teacher and they gave me a very deep adjustment. And for three years, my shoulder was in agony. I've been uh, touched in ways that afterwards I was like, that wasn't appropriate. Like that, that's not how you assist a downward dog. 
And I think that's the foundational principle we want to look at when we're getting in a relationship with a, a teacher, student, a guru, a style is, are we outsourcing our power? And are we looking for some magic pill or person to heal what is our own to heal? Over the years, Erin, I've heard so many times that this time was prophesized, that the time when all the gurus would fall um, and that we would no longer have people and often um, male people in positions of power. In the last couple of years, you know, there's been the documentaries on Netflix that have come out, like the Wild, Wild West and the one about Bikram. And there's just been more in popular culture, this like, ooh, I don't know about that lineage. Ooh, I don't know about that lineage. And if anything has come true is that in every single lineage, if you go digging, um, whether it's in a documentary or you have to dig a little deeper, um, all the gurus have in some ways abused their power. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll assume because it's religious or because it's about like godliness or healing there, that there would be no human uh, tampering with the system. But my belief is like a human is a human. Mm -hmm. And as Oprah says, give a human power, see their true colors. But they had so much power, whether it be money or, or reverence or idolization and, and so many of them fell prey to what that what happens when you get that kind of power over people. Um, for a long time in my studies, I would only study um, with people who had separated from society in some way. So a monk, a nun, and they weren't in the confines. There was no financial interaction. Um, but as in many religions, they've set it up that the monks or the nuns or those, the renunciates are still connected to society. So they depend, they can't handle their own money. They're dependent on others to cook them food. And these ways were created so that the teachings would still get passed on because of course they'd rather be hanging out in a cave for 30 years. Like they don't actually want to be listening to the problems of the world every day as they're counseling us in our in their teachings. Um, and in a lot of ways, I did feel that those were deeper wells, or I shouldn't say in a lot of ways, for sure, those I could feel the depth of their wells because they could spend their whole days in meditation, in study. They weren't on the internet. They didn't have to think about feeding the children, getting like all these timeline pieces. So their wells are so, so deep. And there are still power problems in those structures. So in a lot of times, females can't reach the same rank as males. And again, if you go digging, there are lots of monks and nuns that I know that um, are so in integrity. However, within their organization, there are others that have abused power in some form. So again, that idea that no matter where we go searching, we're going to find some sort of abuse of power as soon as, as long as we're still externalizing, oh, well, the guru knows best. They know all, they know everything. Yeah. And I think what we're looking for in, in any sacred text and any, any person is our own high self. Like I want to be, I want a mirror of, of how I can be in the world. If I see Sarah living in alignment, I know that if it's in her, it's likely in me. And it's that idea of the awakened heart then awakens the other person. If we can see the teachings and not the teacher. We were talking earlier about the Buddha. The Buddha's like, don't trust my word. Exactly. Question, question, use your question, all the teachings 
and go by your own direct experience. So exactly that. Don't just blindly drink the Kool-Aid, which I've done so many times. Um, and most teachers, um, Yogi Bhajan said that as well. Question these teachings. Don't take my word for it. Go do the work. Go into the trenches yourself. Yeah. I'm holding a light at the end of the cave for you, but you've got to do your own direct experience. And so many of us are like, oh, well, I'll shortcut that one because they said it worked. So, mm-hmm. You know, the, the only thing I can say is that the, the, these practices, they work. The, the meditation, the prayer, the asana, the, the pranayama work, it, it definitely gives me stability to be a weighted one in my own home, uh, to be steady in the face of all the fluctuations of life. My only hesitation with, with anyone who is so reverent at the feet of a teacher is check in it does it does it sit is this right does it work with with your life your family your direction a beautiful moment of teaching i had was with um, a monk i studied with in the thai forest tradition who really walks in integrity and he was traveling from the monastery to do a teaching and i got close to where he was doing the teaching and i felt my heart expand i felt my heart lit up i was so excited to see him and i explained wow when I got within your energetic field, my heart turned on and I felt meta, I felt compassion. And he said, that's within you. That's not me. And that's not actually for me. I'm just helping you see what's already within you. And that was such a deeper moment of respect I had for him. Oh, yeah, I love that. I, a teacher of mine used to always say, I, after class, I would say, thank you so much. And the person would say, that was all you. Like, I had nothing to do with that. As a teacher, as a, a service provider, as an intuitive worker, it's important to distinguish the line between being a channel, sharing the teachings, and the ego not getting attached as, well, I did it because I'm so talented. So beautiful. And we had spoken about this a little bit earlier, but that dual transference idea that as soon as we're putting them on that pedestal, that's a hard place for them to hold. Oh, I love that. a lot of pressure. Oh, I love that. So this idea of transference is where we redirect energy and emotion to either a therapist or a teacher that we haven't processed from childhood. So it could be um, a mother that that wasn't there for us. So we project that onto the teacher, the mother we never had. Um, it could be like like a sexual thing. I mean, we we put these people on pedestals and we want them to be who we think they are, who we see them as, but it gives them no space to be who they are. And you're right. Like anytime I've ever put anyone on a pedestal, they've fallen and I've been... Mm-hmm gutted yeah and just understanding now that we're you know walking in studentship as well as teachership how much pressure it is for us if you're just you know running around the grocery store and you're late to pick up your son and you're a little distracted and you see a student and you feel that weight of them wanting to see you in that moment as perfect and you're like this is perfection this is humanity oh i'm a mother right now and part of dismantling this idea that the guru is perfect or up above us on this pedestal is learning to love them and see them in their humanity and that humanity is also godliness yeah so watching Erin rush to pick up her son is just as 
like that moment is an awakening in the same way flowing someone into a headstand is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And when I use the word God, I am thinking the energy of generator, organizer, destroyer. So this mm-hmm. big worldly energy and whatever that means for each person. Oof, I love, I love. Yeah. I, I actually did some research on, on how to become a guru. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Here we go. So start a church, um, start a war or write a Bible. So if we don't have a guru, what do we have? Whew, beautiful. Yeah, well, I'm working on my Bible as we speak. It'll be out in October. (laughs) Um, Yeah, what do we have left? And this idea to me is I still want to see the guru out there in the world. And I also want to see it within me. So just that mirror of when I saw my teacher and it activated this, this loving kindness in me that I can turn on that loving kindness at any moment. I don't need the teacher or project that it's my feeling of happiness of seeing him. It's actually my heart is capable of being that open in any moment. And where it's going to come in, it's unglamorous, it's unsexy. I had a friend last week who got a, got a session and at the end she was so frustrated because she's like, I just wanted it to be fixed. I just wanted it to go away. And every you know door I'm knocking at, every well I'm digging is saying the same thing. It's about daily practice, daily discipline, sitting with ourselves and watching the uncomfortable highs and lows. And that's, yeah, that's not glamorous. That's not a big peak moment. Mm-hmm. It's simple and it requires commitment to ourselves. We're the only ones that can do that for ourselves. Sarah and I are running a program in October. Reach out to me for more information. But it's exactly about this is like, how do I take the seat of the teacher within my own practices? You know, how do I make sure that I'm digging a deep enough well? I I always think about, I want to stay connected to the source. I want, I want a one tendril really close to the teachings and the teachers that light me up. But Sarah and I have created this program for people to gain some traction and momentum in their own personal practices of darkness and light. And... uh, what I love about it too is that I'm continuing to seek teachers so in during COVID or the lockdown portion of COVID Erin and I were accountability partners and we took some fantastic online courses so we kept studying we kept seeking out teachers and then in our accountability we would check ourselves when we were putting that teacher on a pedestal Mm -hmm. and accepting that that teacher's um, quote unquote foibles and also brilliance were all part of their humanity and ultimately they were shining a light in the dark for us so that we could keep going deeper and we want to continue to do that for others too because we may be one step ahead of them on the path. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about the imagery of Indra's net where it's like a spider web around the entirety of the world and there's little diamonds at every anchor point and each diamond reflects the other diamond and we're each we're interconnected we inter are and i think that like when i reflect your light you reflect my light the world lights up and yet the things that keep me covered are my feelings of lack my feelings of not good enough and so I want to polish this diamond, this Aaron diamond body that I've borrowed so that I can shine light on more diamonds.
Another experience of mine was related to ayahuasca, and I've, I've done this in ceremony a couple times. I'm curious your thoughts on ayahuasca. Uh, we, Davis, an ethnobotanist and anthropologist who was down in the jungle way before it ever hit North America and was one of the first people to um, use a lot of these sacred plants in ceremony in the Amazon. And one of his teachings from from that time and from those experiences is that traditionally ayahuasca again going back to rites of passage was always used for collective healing so the idea was not for inner growth but it was to do it together and it's not a comfortable ride it's not a pleasant experience but that you're processing for the collective and helping to vision where your community needs to go so one person in the room could be processing the grief of the community. One person could be processing the joy, but that everyone together is doing the heavy lifting so that you can rise and move forward and have a clear vision together. Oh, and make no mistake, the work you do affects your community and your family, 100%. And I think something after um, a lot of the lockdown of COVID is this exciting time that we have these possibilities now moving forward to to gather and do this work again in community. Mm -hmm. And that was part of the reason that we named our program Connection. I think we're in a really exciting time right now too, because we're in this moment where all these gurus, these people who, oh, they're so much smarter than us, they're so much more polished than us, they've all fallen. And of course, there's the disgrace, there's the work we have to do around thing the abuses of power that were not acceptable and there's this beauty that we have access to all the teachings now so um there's there's talk when we talked about digging a deep well that some people can dig too many shallow wells and something that i've done in my teachings and in my studentship is i have taken a deep dive into a lot of wells and what plays out for me that is there is the consistency. So every day I show up, I practice and yes, I'm pulling from several different wells, which is, you know, in some people's minds is incorrect and you must pick one guru, one teacher and do it one way. But I think we're in this really exciting time where we get to pick what works for us mm -hmm. and that's going to be different for you. And the better you can listen to your inner guru, you're going to know is the wisdom to back off here or is the wisdom that I need a little more tapas? Yeah. Because sometimes it gets confusing. It's the ego saying, oh, no, I want to back off a little bit here, but actually I need more tapas or vice versa. Yeah. And so with these daily practices, with teachers holding the space for us, we yeah. get to discern what is the practice that's best for me? How do I steady my container and deepen my own well? Yes, I love that. Nothing is ever one thing. So we don't know when uh, that pranayama practice might bear its fruit. And, and my pranayama practice might be supporting my asana practice, which also supports my hiking practice, which supports my prayer practice. So it's, it's all intertwined and, and nothing is ever one thing. So consistency, number one. And number two, like, Keep your eyes open. The world is this magical place to be discovered and explored. 
in Buddhism, they talk about what a sublime blessing it is to be in the right place at the right time and to hear the teachings or keeping your eyes open and to see a teaching, a real moment of light and dark, a child having a meltdown, a parent getting frustrated, and then the hug later, the light and the dark, and that it's all beautiful, it's all God, it's all the teaching. Oh, I think that is the perfect note to close on. Uh, if you liked what you heard, be sure to rate and subscribe. I'll leave information about Miss High Hopes Harvey, Sarah Harvey, in the show notes and reach out if you have any questions. Erin, thanks so much for making time for this. I've been loving listening to your podcast and loving that actually you find the guru in such a broad stretch of humanity mm -hmm. and drawing that out of each guest. So thanks so much for your mad skills. Thank you.